The following message is brought to you by Champions Church. For more information, please visit champschurch.com. I want to get into the word this morning for a number of reasons. I, I like the topic this morning for uh, some personal reasons, uh, but also just believe that it's a, a timely word for uh, for everyone here. So every time we do come together, the goal is to make sure that we are in the, the flow of what God is doing. Now, that's easy to, to miss out on when you get distracted and when you have things in your life that uh, can interrupt uh, the things that are, are you know normal in your routine and your fellowship with one another and with God, but God's really good to us. I mean, I think you have stories in the Bible like Jonah and a fish swallowing a man and, and all of these things because God will go out of his way to keep you on track. And so as we come together this morning, I really feel like this is on track with where we need to go. And the topic is something that I know uh, I, I greatly desire increased in my life personally because of the promises attached to it in the scripture. So here's a few things that we're going to find in the Word. Now, these are things that you can write down in your notes, things to look forward to. Some of them you might hear, and they may kind of be intriguing to you. Uh, some of them uh, may, may not. But the things that you can look forward to as we move through the Word as kind of milestones as we plow through these things and uh, give us something to anticipate. So one, we're going to find out what makes someone desirable. What makes someone desirable? It's a really amazing thing to consider. I mean, you look at the, the world that we live in today and all of the commercialism and everything that exists, all of the covetousness and marketing and everything that is promising to make your life desirable, and you'll find in the scripture something, one thing that's very simple, that doesn't mean easy, it means simple, that will make a person desirable. We'll find that in the scripture, and I think that's a good thing to know so that it can be pursued so that it can be pursued and sought after and cherished and cultivated. Another thing that we're going to find is why God made you alive, raised you up, and then seated you with him in heavenly places. Those are three pretty big things, right? I mean, if I said, hey, how many of you want to be alive in God? I mean, hands would go up. You know, how many of you, you know, want to be raised up in the things of God? Hands would go up. How many of you want to be seated with Jesus in heavenly places? Hands would go up. Nobody is wanting outside of that list, right? There's a reason why all of these things. And when you see the reason why, it can really help emphasize something that God finds very important that we might find very common and casual. And a common and casual approach to the things that God finds important can leave life a little bit lacking. I think we ought to prioritize the things that God prioritizes. And we'll see that in the scripture. It'll make more sense when we get there, I promise you. And then a third thing that we are going to find is uh, how to make kindness. How to make kindness. And we'll see that when we get to uh, the close of the message here. So that may kind of tip my hand a little bit on the topic. The topic is going to be kindness, and it's something that I think is really important. We're going to start with what makes someone desirable. Now, I think this is an important thing to start with because there's not a person in the room that doesn't want to be desirable. I don't know anybody who, who doesn't want to be liked or loved, doesn't have a need to be appreciated or valued in some way, shape, or form. In fact, if you were to remove affirmation or affection from a person's life, they'll die. We're meant to be a community. We're meant to be bound by love and affection appropriately with one another in a way that is, is a community, in a way that is life-giving. 
In fact, when you read throughout the scripture, loving one another is at the very heart of Christianity. And if we deny that call to love one another, we end up finding ourselves lacking in our faith. So you can see here that we're going to find something very important in that what would make us desirable in any given situation. We're going to go ahead and get in the scripture. Proverbs 19.22 is where you're going to find that base, that foundation that we're going to build on. Proverbs 19.22, what makes a person desirable? It reads like this from the scripture. What is desirable in a man is his kindness. Now, I don't want you to find this gender specific. This isn't just like, hey, ladies, you want a kind man. This is what is desirable in any person, in all of humanity, in any, anyone who is uh, uh, within mankind, any man, woman, child, what makes them desirable is going to be kindness. Now, you see this in the scripture, and it seems pretty simple. It, it, it's very void of anything that is expensive or, or costs any kind of money. There's no financial investment necessary. You'll see all the things in the world that will tell you you'll be desirable, you'll be liked if you do this, if you go here, if you buy that, if you wear this. People will appreciate you, they will value you, they will respect you, they will honor you. And all of that is, as they say in France, garbage. It's garbage. It's just baloney. It's bull. It's a lie. It's deception. But what makes someone desirable is going to be kindness. Now, I take this passage of Scripture, and I'm influenced by it to, to take that into my prayer life. Father, I, I want that. I don't want to be kind through empty and or be desirable through empty and vain ways. I want to be desirable through the ways that are, are real and pure. I want to be kind. I want kindness to be an active part of my life in such a way that those who are around me would be drawn to me. That every need that I have for affection and value and appreciation might be met. Don't let me weigh out my life on whether or not it is joyful or depressing based on the, the measure of that being met. But let me weigh my life on the kindness that I produce that sees to it that that measure is met. So that I'm not waiting for a ship that's not coming in. Kindness. To make one desirable. It's an interesting thing to consider. And when you consider that and you begin to see it from that perspective, you can begin to identify the areas of the scripture that talk about kindness. It has a source. It's one of the fruits of the Holy Spirit. You find it in Galatians that the fruit of the Holy Spirit or what the Holy Spirit produces is love and joy and peace and patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Those are the things that can influence our thoughts and our hearts and our prayers Father, I want kindness to be multiplied in my life. If it's a fruit that is produced by your spirit, then let it be produced in and through me. And then let the result of that kindness produce something wonderful. Let it make my life desirable. Now, this is an interesting thing to consider because the church has been invited to do a great task. I mean, in, in Christianese, so to speak, we call it the Great Commission, right? To go into all of the world and to preach the gospel and make disciples. And, and so we call it evangelism, right? And then we go and we try to talk people into being Christians for the most part. I don't think that's ever been God's design. I think God's design has been to invade our life with, with his kindness so that kindness can flow through us and we become so desirable that people want to be included. They have a need met. They have uh, some kind of uh, uh, 
uh, void filled in some wonderful and healthy and godly way that draws them to come and be a part of something that they would have never been a part of before. I want to be naturally evangelistic. I don't want to talk people into Christianity. I want to live a life of kindness that's so desirable that people are drawn to be a part of the community that I'm included in. And I think that's God's call on our lives. If it's kindness that makes one desirable, then I think kindness ought to be pursued. It ought to be prioritized. And you'll see in the scripture that it's a requirement, that it's something that God values. Now, he wouldn't require it if it wasn't something that was necessary. God's very efficient in so many ways. He's not interested in just creating red tape and bureaucracy. That's what men do. Have you ever read some of Jesus' sermons? They're so short. Some of them are like two sentences long, right? I mean, we couldn't do that because church has to be at least an hour and 15 minutes, right? I mean, you can't just come in and say two sentences and just say, if you have ears to hear, I hope you heard. God bless you. Goodbye. It would be weird, wouldn't it? Because we're so used to the way we do it. The reality is God doesn't add red tape and difficulty and hardship to things. He keeps things very efficient, and they're very real and genuine. So when you see that God requires something, you can bet that it's important. You can bet that it's necessary. I want to show you a couple of things in the Scripture that I think are really worth noting. These are really powerful verses that talk about the things that God values most. And if we can align our values with his values, we'll walk in lockstep. And I guarantee you there's nothing that we can't see happen. I'll give you a passage of scripture from Malachi. Malachi chapter 6, verse 8. Malachi chapter 6, verse 8. It reads like this. God has told you what is good. And what does God require of you but the following? To do justice to love kindness, and to walk humbly. What a really incredible passage of Scripture to just list three things that God would require. Take those into your prayer life. Father, if these are three things that you require, then let these three things describe my life. Let me do what is just. Let me love what is kind, and let me stay humble. No matter what, no matter what the situation, no matter what the circumstance, let these things prevail in my thoughts, let them be released in my words, and let them be revealed in my actions. Justice and kindness and humility. Let my life be defined by the things that you value and that you require. I'll give you another passage of scripture for your notes from Zechariah. Zechariah chapter 7 verse 9. I like to give the verses for your notes because I want you to visit these passages of Scripture in your own time. I think it's really important to go back and do that when you have an opportunity. And I know that you won't always do that. I don't always do that. But there are times when you will, and it will be a very uh, profound and wonderful experience. God speaks to us together, and he also speaks to us very individually. He loves us so much. Zechariah chapter 7, verse 9, it reads like this. This is what God says, dispense justice. It actually says true justice, which is his justice, not man-made justice. Dispense true justice and practice kindness and compassion, each one to his brother. What incredibly efficient instruction. I mean, we build bookstores to host the books of how to be Christians, 
and yet God would say it in one sentence. He would reveal to us the things that he would require in a single sentence. He would say, do what's just, love what's kind, and stay humble. I like that book. That's a book I can read. It's pretty simple. But remember, simple doesn't always mean easy. There are things that we do to see these things come to pass. We'll find that here in the scripture in a moment. I want to talk to you about the reason why kindness is so powerful, and then we're going to find out how to produce that in and through our lives. Kindness has the power to redeem, and that's one of the reasons why we stand together and receive the wonderful gifts that we receive as we come together and celebrate communion, as we come and share in the gifts of the Holy Spirit together, like I invited after the service, those with the gift of hospitality, I'd like to meet with you. Uh, That's a shameless plug in the middle of the service, don't forget. But there's a reason why this is so important. It has a very powerful quality. I'll show you in the scripture the redeeming quality of kindness. You'll find it in multiple places, but we're going to look specifically at a couple that are very revealing. Romans chapter 2, verse 4, it reads like this. Romans 2, 4, it says, Don't think lightly of the riches of God's kindness. So that's the first instruction, is don't think that kindness is just some elementary thing. Don't think of it as as something that's so simple that it doesn't need to be prioritized or valued or cherished or cultivated. Don't think of it as common. Don't think lightly of it. It means this is important. And sometimes we need to hear it in the positive rather than the negative, right? I wouldn't go home after a long day of work and and find my family and say, hey, don't not feed me. I would go home and say, hey, we got any food? I'm pretty hungry, right? Because we, we, we think like that, we talk like that, we speak differently than the way this was recorded. Some people read from left to right, some from right to left, some speak forward to backward, some backward to forward. It, we, we have different cultures. And so when you read this, it's easy for it to not match our culture, and it's good to stop and reverse it. Instead of say something like, hey, don't think lightly of God's kindness, I think it's better for our understanding to say, hey, God's kindness is important. You need to think on it, prioritize it, devote your thoughts to it. We lean more toward speaking in the positive than the negative. So think highly of God's kindness. Now the rest of the scripture says this, don't you know that it's the kindness of God that leads to repentance? That's a really powerful statement. That it's the kindness of God that leads to repentance. Repentance is not just apology or apologizing or a state of remorse. Rather, repentance by definition is change. So basically what's being revealed here is that it's the kindness of God that produces change. I think if I were to ask people in this room right now, even as believers, hey, are there things that you want to see change in your life? I think every single one of us would be able to write a few down. Prayer requests, so to speak. I'd like to see God change this. I'd like to see God change that. And I'd like to see God change that too. I need to see some things change in my life. There's been a lot of my life where I've sat and prayed for change. Father, let this change. Let this change. I want this to change. And the reality is what I need to be seeking is kindness. God, let your kindness be magnified in this so that change can come. Let your kindness be revealed to me and through me so that change can come. 
Let change be the result of kindness both in my life and through my life so that that change will be real. It's kind of interesting, isn't it? Something so powerful as change. You know, my whole life going from darkness to light is nothing more than change. Going from being lost to found, nothing more than change. Dead to alive, nothing more than change. And all of those changes are all the result of kindness. So God, let me be a catalyst for your kindness. Let me receive all that I can possibly handle and let it spill out from my life onto everyone around me that the change that brings you honor and glory would be the result of my existence. I want to be kind. I want to tell you something. It's a bit of a confession. Kindness is not natural for me. It's very unnatural, actually. To be left to my default, I'm very selfish and I'm very mean, I'm very aggressive. It will take the kindness of God to make me a kind man. But that's his promise. To continue to work in me until the very end. To see to it that I can be just like Jesus. It's the same promise he has for you too. Here's a great passage of scripture to confirm the things that were just spoken. I want to give it to you from the book of Titus. Titus chapter 3. We want to look at verses 3, three through 6. It's going to be a lot of reading, and I don't really enjoy reading a lot. So I'm going to read this, and then we're going to break it down. Titus 3, beginning in verse 3. It says, we were once. So that's talking about the past, right? We were once foolish. We were disobedient and deceived. And we were enslaved to all kinds of lusts. And we spent our lives in anger. Man, I've been there. And envy, been there. Hateful, been there. Hating one another, been there. Now verse 4. But when the kindness of God appeared, he saved us. Do you see the, the, the bridge between hate, death, destruction, sorrow, grief, loss, lack, and all forms of suffering and being saved? That bridge is kindness. We were once so lost, so far gone, we couldn't love one another. We couldn't get along with one another. Everything was miserable. But when the kindness of God appeared, he saved us. I read that passage and it makes me want to value kindness beyond just some four-letter word that we throw around when someone's nice. Being nice and being kind are not the same thing. A person who's not kind can still be nice. Working some angle, having some string attached, some form of manipulation. But kindness is a lifestyle, a willingness to see to it that others' needs are met. It is the definition of Jesus. It's pretty amazing. So I mentioned to you before another thing we were going to find, and it's why God you know, made us alive and why he raised us up and why he seated us in heavenly places with himself. I want to see that in the scripture. I think it's important to see that. 
you know, you come into a church environment and you hear that God loves you and that he's given you life and, and we kind of, you know, celebrate those things and rightfully so, but we don't really think about why did he do that? Is there a purpose behind that? I promise you, based on the scripture we're about to read, you being saved and delivered, you being empowered to do great things is not the end, rather it's the means to the end. And sometimes we become so infatuated with the means that we see it as the end. I'm saved. Well, that's great, but you were saved for a purpose, so get after it. That was a really strange tone. I love it. I always think that's funny. You know, you can learn a lot about someone by their ringtone. You remember when people used to use songs, like little pieces of songs? I thought that was pretty revealing, right? You find out what they listen to? I miss those days. No, they're all gone. Now it's all, you know, bells and whistles and ringtones. And I want to get back here. We're going to get to the, the so that of salvation. Now, you've heard me say this before when we're reading the scripture. When you see things like therefore or so that, you need to pause and, and examine what it actually is saying. Words like therefore and, and, and phrases like so that are revealing a purpose, right? I mean, you might want me to preach fast so that you can go eat lunch. There's a so that for you. You want something to happen because this is the desired result. You're hungry and you want that need met. So when you see things like so that or you see things like therefore, which is just kind of a fancy way to say so that, it's good to pause and examine those things so that we can catch the point of what's being spoken. And I want to catch the point of why we've been saved. You'll find it in Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 2. I want to look at verses 4 through 7. 4 through 7, it says, But God being rich in mercy because of the great love that he loves us with, even when we were dead in our sin, he made us alive together with Jesus. He raised us up with him, and he seated us in heavenly places so that. Did you catch that? He made you alive. He raised you up. And he seated you in heavenly places. We get so content with that that we stop there. But he did all of that for a reason. He did all of that for a purpose. He did all of that for a so that. And here's the so that. So that in the ages to come, he might show the surpassing riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Jesus Christ. God did all of that to reveal his kindness to you. To reveal his kindness to you so that you could go and reveal that same kindness to all who are around you. When Jesus would say something like, freely as it was given to you, freely you go and give, that's what he's talking about. The very kindness of God that would meet you in the middle of your sin when you were hostile toward God, rebellious, filled with anger and hate, malicious in every way. That he would meet you there and introduce life. That he would invest in you to raise you up. And then that he would give you a position to seat you with himself. All so that he could reveal kindness. Not just so that kindness might be revealed, but so that kindness might be released. 
through you into this world to bring about the change that's necessary. People who sit in darkness and depression and sickness and poverty can be drawn out of those things and into light all because kindness that brings about change. Remember, it's more than being nice. So I want to give you a few things that are keys here. I think these are important things to see. If you have your Bibles or you're taking notes, you can write down Ephesians again, chapter 4. It's a few verses, starting in 29, going through about verse 32. If I want to see kindness come into my life, I want to learn everything I can about it. Not just to know that God is kind, but to see the things that bring kindness into existence. I want to be kind on purpose, not on accident. I want to see those things that bring about change introduced intentionally. And when we look at the scripture and follow the instruction that's set before us, we can see that happen. I believe you find something in Ephesians chapter 4 beginning in verse 29 that is a step toward kindness. That is, step one, if you want to see kindness multiplied in your life, in and through your life, to your life, apply these words. Beginning in verse 29, let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but only the words that are good for raising up according to the need of the moment. Oh my gosh, I want to stop there. If I were to take that before we continue to read and just say, I want to take that into my prayer life. It starts with this. First of all, God, I want that. I want my mouth to be protected from speaking destructive words. When I feel provoked, when I am, am surrounded by the things that exist in this world, it's so easy for me in my default to let anger and to let disappointment and to let hatred and to let cursing release from my mouth. Let that stop now. And let words that bring about victory and life and prosperity and the things that are constructive and build people up around me, let that leave my mouth. And it says this, and I think this is an interesting thing to say. Those things that are according to the need of the moment. That's a wake-up call. Father, let me be awake to the moment I'm in. That I wouldn't be dull to the situation around me. That I wouldn't sit blind to the needs of those right in front of me or the senses or the feelings of those around me. I want to know the moment I'm in so that I don't mess it up. I want to make the most of it. Make me aware. And I think that's why you have passages of Scripture like, Awake, O Sleeper. Don't let me sit in a slumber, dull to what's going on around me and failing to bring about the solution and the life that I'm anointed and called to bring by your kindness. Wake me up to the moment. Let me know the moment, the need that I'm surrounded by so that I might behave myself accordingly and see a righteous change released through kindness. Pretty good thing to pray, right? So when you read that, you see, let no, wholesome, no, no, let no unwholesome word, excuse me, proceed from your mouth, but only those words that build up, that are good according to the need of the moment. Here's another, so that. So that it will give grace to those who hear. That's the result. If I want to see kindness released through my life, it's going to mean giving grace to those who hear it. Do you want to know who needs grace? No matter what, here's your answer. People who don't deserve it. 
I'm serious, man. I would be writing that down in my notes. Who needs grace? People who don't deserve it. If they deserve it, it's not grace. It's just a reward. But for it to be grace, it's got to be undeserved. It means they have made you mad. They have hurt you. They have wounded you. They have offended you. They have done something against you, and you do not reciprocate that hurt and wound. Rather, you introduce kindness. The result being grace to those that need it. Who are those that need it? Those who don't deserve it. And I'm one of those, by the way. goes on to say this, don't grieve the Holy Spirit by whom you were sealed for redemption. Here's the next instruction, in my opinion, to see kindness released through your life. This is necessary. First, you've got to guard your mouth. You can't be saying nasty stuff and destructive stuff. You've got to say stuff that builds up and the things that bring life. That's step one. You're going to find another step here. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving each other, just as God in Jesus Christ forgives you. Man, that will blow your mind if you soak on that. If we want to see kindness released that results in grace to those that don't deserve it, it's going to mean guarding your mouth. You can't twist off and rip into people. You've got to build them up. You've got to find those words. You can't lie, but you've got to find a way to speak the truth with grace. And God will give you a word of wisdom in that moment. I promise you that. That's what he does. And then in addition to that, in order for kindness to flow through our lives, it means laying down the junk that gets in the way. And that junk is listed as the following. Bitterness, wrath, anger, Clamor. Somebody look up clamor. Anybody got a phone and look up clamor definition? I don't know what clamor means. Makes me want seafood. Yeah, now you're hungry. Long Johns. Here we go. Slander. Let all that be put away with all malice. All malice just being anger and, and, and bad thoughts and, and uh, just bad doing. Malicious. My goodness, you will answer to Jesus for that. Is that your ringtone? I love it. That's clamor right there. I think we've got it. Man, what do you got? You're, gonna, you're not going to read it? You're going to make me read it? You make me put on my wife's glasses? It says a loud, persistent outcry, okay, like from a large number of people. Ooh, here's the one we're looking for vehement. Now I got to look that up, but I know what that is. It means like poisonous, like venomous, like you're trying to hurt somebody with your words. A poisonous expression. Let me tell you something. That's got to go. It's got to go. If kindness is going to exist in my life, the bitterness from being hurt, the anger from being hurt, all of those things has got to go or else there's no room for kindness to prevail. And if there's no room for kindness to prevail, there's no room for grace to prevail. If there's no room for grace to prevail, there's not going to be any change and you're going to get the same nonsense you've always gotten. Trust me, I'm a pro at it. I I need kindness. I, I need that. I need to get rid of bitterness. Every good thing that's ever happened in my life has come through ministry, and ministry is one of two things or a combination of the two. It's either God putting something in you that you need or taking something out of you that you don't. 
That's it. Pretty simple, isn't it? And when God has delivered me from things like anger and bitterness, it has lifted weight off of my shoulders, metaphorically and literally, that has transformed who I am as a man, how I behave. And that ministry continues even to this day as he continues to take more things that I don't need out and put more things that I do need in. He's promised to do the same for all of us. When you see those things go, the bitterness, the anger, the clamor, the slander, all those things, everything malicious, when you see it go, the result then is we can, according to verse 32, be kind to one another. Meaning tenderhearted and forgiving each other just like Jesus Christ or just like God has forgiven us in Jesus. And when you take that part, it really can blow your mind. Just like God has forgiven us in Jesus means it was completely unmerited, completely undeserved. We don't wait for people to get their act together. Well, as soon as they apologize, I'll forgive them. It's not how it works. We measure with the same measure that was measured with us by the love of God through Jesus. And here's that measure, if you want to know what that is. I'll give it to you in one passage of Scripture, Luke chapter 6, verse 35. If you want to know what that measure of of forgiveness is, here's, here's that measure of forgiveness. Luke chapter 6, verse 35. It says, but love your enemies, do good, and lend, expecting nothing in return. And your reward will be great, and you will be called sons of the Most High. For he himself, that's God, is kind even to the ungrateful and the evil. Wow. You mean I don't just be kind to people that are nice to me? No. No. That's easy. Anybody can do that. To live a godly life is to be kind all the time. Even when there's affliction, even when there's hurt, even when there's wound, even when there's enmity, those that hate you and despise you and want to see you destroyed. We have a call on our life to see to it that kindness is introduced. Why? Because that's how we show them who God is. Did you see the promise attached to this? It's easy to read right past it. Be kind even to your enemies. Do good and lend, expecting nothing in return. Your reward will be great in heaven. We get hung up on that. Yay! Now look at the next promise. You'll be sons of the Most High God. You know what that means? You'll look like Him. You'll share in His DNA, His likeness, His image. I look at my sons, and whether they like it or not, I see a lot of me in them. At 14, that's not cool. But what a wonderful promise to attach. Hey, do these things, and you'll be the son of your heavenly father. You'll have his heart in you, working and operating. His thoughts flowing through you. His actions and his words through your life. You'll look just like him. You'll be his son. And when people see you, they'll say, that's the son of God. Wow. I want that. It's going to mean kindness. So then here's the closer, right? I mean, I told you we're going to find out how to make or create kindness, so to speak. I want to offer this to you. And we've used part of this before in the past, so if it sounds a little familiar, it fits today, and that's where we're going to use it once again. 
I want to give you this passage of scripture, and then I'm going to tell you just a little thing uh, that's a part of my, my personal life that I think fits really well. And uh, it's from Proverbs, the passages anyway. Proverbs 14.22. Proverbs 14.22. It, it reads like this. I'm going to paraphrase slightly. It just says, They'll go astray who devise evil, but kindness and truth will be to those who devise good. Well, I know I need kindness. I want kindness. That's the only way there's going to be change, right? I mean, that's how you have that grace released into situations that bring about that righteous change that we all want. I need that kindness. And when I read this passage of Scripture, I see an instruction in how to develop that kindness, how to create that kindness so that it can be released. It says they're going to be lost. They're going to fail. It's going to get worse for those that devise evil. But kindness and truth will come to those who devise good. I take that passage of scripture and say, God, let that be me. I want to devise good. Let me devise good. That means I got to go to the dictionary and figure out what devise means, right? I want to read you a definition for devise because I want this to be you too. To plan or invent was one of the definitions. Substitute that definition in there. That, that kindness and truth will be to those who plan and invent good. Plan and invent, not hope it happens, not accidentally be good, but plan it, intentional, invent it. Invent is a wonderful word. The thought of innovation is something that just really floats my boat because God is creative and he's made you in his image. Men can create and invent all kinds of ways to sin and be corrupt. We're really good at that. But when it comes to devising or inventing good, it's a whole other thing. If you can redeem that imagination and separate it from the perverse and separate it from the selfish and the carnal and see it released into the kingdom, that imagination that God has blessed us with, can be set free from that corruption, and we can begin to invent good rather than invent destruction. It's a good thing to pray. Let my imagination be redeemed so that I can invent good. Touch my mind and let every creative thought that I have be redeemed. To, to create and innovate ways for your goodness to be released into this world so that kindness might prevail. Here's another definition for devise as you continue to, to go deeper into the dictionary here. If our goal is to devise good, here's how it's going to happen. By definition, to form in the mind by new combinations or applications of ideas. It's a little cerebral, right? I mean, it feels a little academic to read that, but I want you just to think about it. Because if we know we need to devise good and need for kindness to prevail, then I think that knowing what devise good means is really helpful. First of all, it's in your thoughts. It's in your thought life. It starts in your thought life. God, I want my thought life to be filtered by the Holy Spirit. Let the thoughts that I think bring you honor and glory and let the... the, the the bed be laid for me to think the things that are pleasing to you. Let it be cultivated and let the seeds be sown. Let them take root and let them sprout up. Let them be cultivated and watered and cherished that they might bear fruit of goodness. 
let those things prevail in me that no unwholesome thought would waste my time but to see that it would be in the mind a place where we think would be an incredible place to start and then to see that it's combinations and applications of ideas I love that the word idea is used I want ideas God give me ideas not just thoughts that I think about an idea is, is a thought with intention behind it. I mean, if somebody here said, hey, I have an idea, it's got a specific attachment to it. An idea for what? Well, an idea for what we're going to eat for lunch, right? An idea for that or this or that. An idea is going to be connected to something that gives it the potential to be a solution. It's not just some random thought, but rather it's attached to something, something that might be defined as a need. I want to devise good. I want my mind and my creativity and my imagination and all of my thought life to be utilized for something great. And I want that greatness to be the producer of grace, all because of the kindness that's generated and released. I remember a situation in which kindness was absent. And I'm saying was, it's still a challenge to this day. I told you my default is not very kind. My default is a little on the mean side. And I remember having a conversation with my wife, and she was disappointed in my attitude. It was not very kind. Now, I love my wife and, and was very honest in saying that I was not trying to be mean. I'd said something. It had created a conflict, and it was not very pleasant. It wasn't my intention to do that, but that is what happened. And I became so fixated on convincing her that I wasn't trying to be mean. I wasn't trying to be mean, which unfortunately kind of just says, hey, get over it. I didn't do anything. It's all in your head, right? Terrible things to say. But that was the gist of it. It was, it was along the lines of, hey, I wasn't trying to be mean. You know, let's move past that. I wasn't trying to be mean. I wasn't trying to be mean. And I think I kept repeating I wasn't trying to be mean until finally she had to say something and what she said was so profound and so biblical and so right that you just felt it just kind of cut right through the heart not in a bad way surgically in a good way I'm not trying to be mean I'm not trying to be mean I'm not trying to be mean and finally she stopped me and she said well you're not trying to be kind and I thought you're right I need to be intentionally kind. I need to be trying to be kind. God hasn't called me to just be a nice guy. He's called me to invent ways to be kind, to step into any situation and not just not be mean, but be kind intentionally and on purpose. It's easier said than done, but it's not impossible. And it is our call. Because that is what introduces the power, the love, and the affection of God to bring about change that's so desperately needed. I don't want to be nice. I want to be kind. I don't want to be kind on accident. I want to be kind on purpose. I want to ask you to stand with me. I want to pray for us this morning.
I want to pray for us collectively. Now, there's no greater minister in the room than the Holy Spirit, and he's at work in every one of us, in each of our hearts. I want to pray from that passage of Ephesians, that passage that we pulled on for instruction about guarding the mouth and not speaking the destructive words and about speaking the constructive words, the things that build up and, and about being free from the, the things that are a hindrance to kindness. I want to pray those things for myself, for you, just collectively as a body, all of us. And you're welcome to be in any posture you like. Uh, you can be in an attitude of receiving or, or agreement, however you choose. But I want to trust that God's at work. It's the only way we'll ever see any change. Any real change, anyway. So there where you are, we can simply uh, pray together. I want to pray for us. Father, we bless your name and we thank you for your word. Above all else, we thank you for your kindness toward us. The kindness that would bring about transformation in us. All the changes that we so desperately need. Thank you for drawing us out of darkness and into light. Let that continue, that we would be so in love with the things that are pleasing to you, that we would continue to move in that direction, cooperating with your kindness, to see to it that that work continues to excel in and through our lives. We want to be a people who reveal your kindness to those around us, that we would not only receive the benefits of your kindness, but that we might reveal your kindness to all of those that we encounter. And that every change that's necessary for this world to be transferred from the domain of darkness into the kingdom of our Lord Jesus Christ, let it be revealed through our kindness that would be the result of your kindness, alive and active in and through us. By your spirit, let a guard be set upon our mouths that no matter what state of mind we might be in, we could control our tongue and that we wouldn't speak the words that are cutting and destructive but let us speak the words that build up. Let there be a deliverance from these old ways that produce nothing but sorrow and let there be a celebration of a new way to come that we would prophesy your word, that we would speak words of truth and love and affection into every situation and see victory and breakthrough be the result and let it bring you honor and glory and let every hindrance to kindness be lifted from our hearts. We repent of and we renounce all bitterness. Let it be lifted off of our hearts. All wrath and all anger, let it be washed away by your loving kindness and your goodness toward us. The clamor and the slander, let it be put away with, along with every single malicious thing in our hearts that have had an impact on our minds. Let those things be healed now in Jesus' name that we might be set loose to be kind. And let that kindness have a wonderful and powerful effect that brings you honor and glory. Let it bring about change. Let it be evangelistic. And let it make each one of us as your sons and daughters be desirable to those in this world. That they might be drawn to you as they're drawn to us. All because of your kindness. We bless your name and we thank you for this wonderful and magnificent work. We give you thanks in Jesus' name. And all the saints declared, Amen. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Champions Church. We invite you to join us this Sunday for our celebration worship service. For more information, please visit us at champschurch.com.